Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, we just thank you, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for the word. Because it is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. It is the word that became flesh that carried our sin upon himself, Lord. It is the word that ascended the hill. It is the word that hung on the cross. It is the word that brought our deliverance and our salvation. It is the word still that is our peace and our deliverance. And it is the word that sets us free, Lord. Today, Father, as the ministry of the word begins, I pray all of us will be still before the word and allow the spirit to minister the word to us, Lord, that in our innermost beings, we will receive the word, Lord, because your word is life, it is spirit, it is truth, it is light, it is healing, it is everything and all that we need, Lord. So, Father, we open ourselves to the ministry of your word. Speak to us, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. See, in a once in a while, it's good to be shifted from there to here. You see, one of the most incredible passages, probably the, 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 I would put it in the, the top five in terms of importance. Scriptures in the Bible. And other than God, none of us would ever, ever speak those words to such a kind of a person. It's what Jesus spoke to this Samaritan woman. And it's about worship. I mean, think about it. Which of us as a preacher would imagine, pick an audience like that to speak probably the, one of the greatest truths of salvation about worship? It's to her. And then you know what happened? Only he and she were there. And John who wrote it is not there. So we know John is receiving this from the Holy Spirit as revelation. Okay. Something he says over there. He says in verse 21 of chapter 4 of John. I will read it to you. Because I didn't give it in the scripture. It's not part of today's message. Though that's always part of every message. Woman, believe me the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. For the hour is coming and is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. See, the Old Covenant, because of the nature of the Old Covenant and the nature of the law and the Spirit was not released to birth people, the children of Israel were fixated on a place as worship, that is Jerusalem and the temple. The new covenant, God is not building a building. God is looking for a people. So the building, it's irrelevant. The building in itself is irrelevant in God's picture of worship. It is the people. It is the people. The people is the building. So whether we sit there, whether we sit there, or one day we sit in the church office, if nothing is available, in three different rooms, and still here, and worship, it's irrelevant. The building is irrelevant. The only thing that matters is the people, and God in the midst of his people. That is what God is looking for. And if you get that right, it's God and his people, then you will realize, you can leave a building, 
can never leave a people. Can never leave a people. Because that people is the family of God. Okay? You don't leave your home. Even if you leave your home to go to another place, you know you have never left your home. Okay? But when you see the church as a building, it's easy to leave. When you see the church as a family, you will realize one never leaves. Okay? So we go back to scripture. I hope you all listen very carefully to what Pastor Vijay preached on Sunday. I did. Though there was no internet, I had to wait till I came down the mountains and I listened. Okay? But let's go back to John chapter 7, 1 and verse 17. (laughs) We go back. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. That is the foundation of everything. The difference between Moses and Jesus. Because everybody falls under either Moses or Jesus. Everybody. Whether you know or you don't know. Whether you are a Gentile or a Jew or a believer born of the Spirit is irrelevant. You all fall under the law or we all fall under grace. This is what the difference is. But scripture says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But the truth about truth is that truth is a person. And also a set of ideas. But it's primarily a person. It is Jesus Christ. It is the person that saves, not the idea. You have to understand this actual factor about salvation. You can receive the idea of truth in your soul, in your mind, and not be born again. Because you haven't actually received the work of the person and the person. It is belief in that person and the work of the person that saves. You know? And that is the incredible nature of genuine Christianity. I know you have heard it so many times. But let me make it very clear to why is it so different? Why is it so different? It's simply this. You can be a Buddhist by being born in a Buddhist family and following the Buddhist precepts. You can be a Muslim by being born in a Muslim family and following the ordinances of Islam. You can be a Jew by being fallen, being born in a Jewish family and following the ordinance of Judaism, the law. You can be a Christian, being born in a Christian family and following the ordinances of the church. But you cannot be a child of God unless you are born in the spirit. No Buddhist will tell you when I believed Buddha was born again in me. He'll never say that. No Muslim will ever say that when I became a Muslim, Muhammad and came and was born in me. No Hindu will say. No Jew will say. No Jew will say that when I believed Yahweh came in and was born in me. No. But the beginning of, not Christianity, of faith, of salvation is when Christ comes. It's a supernatural act of the spirit acting on the word that you have believed. Okay? And it's right from the beginning that has been the format. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, 
Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of your sins. You can do this and still not be born again unless you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. He comes in. Okay? Gift of the Holy Spirit. That's when you know you are born again. And once you are born again, you know you are born again. Okay? And the word, the law becomes grace and truth. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 2, this is what scripture says. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Did you receive the spirit? That's a question you should be asking. When you heard, when you repented, when you put your trust in the work of Jesus Christ alone, you received the spirit. And that was the beginning of your life with God. Okay. The, re- the reason is, typically humanity and every man can be divided into three. <coughs> One is the flesh. The other is the soul. And the third part is the dead part, if till you meet Christ, is the spirit. The flesh is absolutely comfortable with the world. With the world. The soul loves the law. The law was made for the soul. Loves the law. The flesh hates the law. The soul loves the law. The spirit and the truth go together. You really want to see the clarity of it. It is all through that incredible man of God, Paul. He explains this issue. If you go to Romans chapter 7. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Who is that? His soul. He says my soul understands. And we all will say that is wrong. That is right. That is wrong. That is right. Even when the flesh does wrong. The soul says that is wrong. Soul loves the law. Loves the law. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into the captivity of the law of sin which is in my members. So in your flesh there is another law which is the law of sin. And it is fighting the soul. The law in your mind. And the law in your flesh. So there is flesh and there is mind. Oh wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? So he calls his flesh the body of death. That's why there is no salvation for this body. And every day you look it up, your knees creak, your joints ache, your wrinkles show, the hair turns a lighter shade. Let's be very, not very, very polite, euphemistic. A lighter shade. A lighter shade. God is telling you, no salvation for your body. Because what is that body? It is a body of death body of death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I serve the law of God but with the flesh the law of sin. With the mind I like the law. With the body I serve the flesh but who will deliver me from all this? Now he's not talking about this and if you come to 8.1 therefore there is no condemnation. You have to read it. These editors put these t- chapters and messed up the whole thing. Sometimes we take the chapters off and you will understand the thought pattern goes very 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 clearly it goes through. When you come to chapter 8 another law is given. It's the law of the spirit of life. 
Okay? So you need to understand that is how it works. The flesh is the body of sin. And the soul delights in the law. That's why we are quick to judge. Quick to judge. He's a soulish man. He judges very fast. Because in his soul, law is written. That is the soulish David. Immediately judged when Nathan came and gave a parable. But the spirit is the one that gives life. So the question is, even when we hear the word, how do we hear? How do we hear? Do we hear with the flesh? The flesh also has a mind. We hear with the soul. The soul has a mind. Or do we hear with the spirit? There's something spectacular if you look at it. Which Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. Okay, the spirit, S capital, the Holy Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? If you're sitting here in the flesh, the word you hear will profit nothing. Absolutely useless it will be. It will profit Nothing, because the spirit gives life and the flesh finds no profit from the word of God because the word of God is spirit. The word of God is not for the soulish man. The word of God is not the carnal man. The word of God is for the spiritual man. That is why the word of God is not open to interpretation of the soulish man. The word of God is received by the spiritual man because it is spiritually discerned. And the flesh profits nothing. And if one is of flesh, the words of Christ, profits nothing. If one is of soul, the word of God is heard only as law. And it brings only pictures of judgment and condemnation. Because you are receiving it with your soul and not with your spirit. Well, if you receive it, your spirit, there is no condemnation because it knows Christ, goes to Christ and receives life. Every time the word of God is preached, if it is spirit, it only brings life. It cannot bring death because Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. If it brings death, it's because you have received it with the soul. You are reading it as law. And the law only brings judgment and condemnation and death. Or you receive it the flesh, the flesh receives nothing. Of God's word. You need to understand this is a reality. So you can be absolutely carnal in the house of God. And the word of God just goes over your head. And you don't remember anything when you go out. Because you did not even factor it in. Or you could be an intellectual giant. Because you receive the word of God. And be a spiritual pygmy. Understand the difference? You are an intellectual giant because your soul has taken the word and come with 600 different interpretations. And you know, you know hermeneutics and hismeneutics and you know, every ticks you know. But you are actually a spiritual. There is nothing wrong with all of this if it is a spirit that is interpreting. But you may be intellectual giant and actually a spiritual pygmy. 
And that's exactly what Galatians 4, 1 and 2 says. You're actually born again, but spiritually you have never grown. Spiritually, not the soul part. The spiritual part has never grown. Now I say the air, as soon as you're born, okay, as you are born, okay, like I said, Christ is born king, okay, we were all born as princes to become kings, okay, born to become kings. It's only we have Brexit and we have now Mexit. Okay? Prince Harry and Meghan has been, by proclamation, the title has been taken away by the Queen yesterday. From tomorrow, today onward, they are no longer called the His Royal Highness because they are exiting officially the royal family. Okay? Exiting. But in this case, once you are born, Christ is born, we are all princes. You are an heir of God's universe. But I say the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. Hypothetically, he is master of all, but he's no different from a slave. But he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So if you are a child, born again child, but still flesh, or soul, you are still under the law. Because you will not experience the liberty of the son. Because you are not able to factor, though you are a son, you still feel like a slave. Because the word of God, you don't hear it as from Christ. You hear it as from Moses. They are not really be able to receive and understand the grace of God. And the truth of God. Are you getting the picture? And the master himself, the great master Jesus, most beautifully explains this story. You know the most famous story of all stories Jesus said in the whole world, even those who do not read Bible, you know which story is the most popular? The prodigal son. Okay, we gave the title. I don't like the title because editors put it. I call it as the parable of the waiting father. But the core character, the central character of that story are not the sons. It is the father. But we know the story so well. It is found in Luke 15. Okay, but we don't have to turn there. There is the father. There are two sons. There are two sons. The father is all grace and all truth. The younger son is all flesh. The elder son is all law. Please understand this. Spiritually what it means when God told Joshua, do not turn to the left or to the right. Okay? If you turn to the left, hypothetically meaning, you turn away from God's grace and truth like the prodigal son. You turn to the left, you fall into the flesh and into the world. If you fall away to the right like the elder son, you fall into the law. Okay? So we don't have an option. Stick to the narrow path, which is the path of truth and of grace. So the younger one turns to the left, falls into the world with all its lusts and power. The elder one is on the right and therefore the law will never save anyone, but it condemns everyone. 
the flesh is always longing for freedom from the father because the flesh always sees the father grace and truth has restrictive and not has liberating truth is liberating but the flesh never sees it the flesh always sees grace and truth that is the father in that story has curbing my joy so in luke 15 and verse 12 the younger one of them said to his father give me portion of goods that falls to me so he divided them to his livelihood he said give me money that's why scripture says the money is the root of all kinds of evil why do people want money why do people don't actually mean from their heart when god says give me this day my daily bread but they don't want daily bread they want money that's the nature of money you go through the bible the way bible deals with money i don't think there's any subject if you take a subject which is given more importance prominence other than about money mammon he says give me money basically he says give me money give me my inheritance because you will see as soon as he given his property he sells it and makes it in money and he goes why because money gives you freedom from god not the freedom of god money is okay in your life as long as it gives you the freedom of god but in the world money gives you the freedom from god please understand this so that you get this clear in your heart Jesus called it mammon. Mammon means gain. What does mammon actually do? Because these are two things. In the kingdom of God, kingdom of God operates by faith. And the kingdom of the world operates by sight, which is equal to money. Whichever way you want to use it. faith actually brings more and more and more dependence on god while money usually in the wrong hands brings more and more independence from god and ultimately death and i have seen it in my life all this years 25 years of ministry i have seen more than any other sin of the flesh I've seen money destroying people destroying people verse 13 will say and not many days after the younger son gathered all together journeyed to a far country why did he have to go to a far country because he wanted to stay away as far away from the father so he could spend his money without being feeling guilty as far his conscience stay as far as far far away country and you know i'm saying i have done it i am free i'm a self made man now i've done it i made it i got it the false liberty no more rules for me okay bible will say he wasted his possessions with prodigal living that's a biblical interpretation of the actual 
thing that happened. But that's not what people say. They said, I'm having a blast. This is life, man. I'm having a blast. That's what the mammon did to the younger one. Let me tell you, it's a spirit. Behind the money, there is a spirit. The spirit of this world. Mammon, that spirit which wants you to be free from God. The truth of God. And takes you so far away from God had gripped. Let me tell you this. Until we tackle this spirit more than any other spirit. That's why when I preach to pastors especially, I'm very tough with them and I tell them. Every man, if you look in the Bible, who've done terrible things, right? Murderers, adulterers, liars, Moses, David, all were, all of them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all like cutthroat liars. Okay? Murderers, two murderers are there, Moses and David in that great list. Everything. They were all restored. But everyone who got gripped by money, restoration was Almost impossible. Impossible. You don't find anybody who got trapped by money being restored because money automatically gave you power, power to be free from God. And they never came back. Never came. Whether it's a Balaam or a Gehazi or Judas or it didn't matter who they walked with. Some of them walked with the most anointed people you could. Balaam actually saw the hand of God, the power of God and the blessings of God coming from his own mouth and he knew every word was true. His mind wanted that righteousness but he could not be restored because mammon had gripped him. Gehazi walked not with Elijah, with Elisha. Walked away leprous. Judas walked with Jesus. Ananias and Sapphira were sitting in a church which was filled with the Holy Spirit. None of them could be restored. Okay. There was, because automatically money gives you a false picture of success. Because as soon as you have money, people believe they have made it. The false picture of success. There were very few people who could handle success? Very few people in the Bible who could handle success. And one of them was David. If you look at First Chronicles chapter 13, verse 1 to 4, David consulted the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel. Now if, you, if I tell you the context behind this, this is after he has defeated all his enemies. And taken even Jerusalem which nobody was able to take. He's king. All of Israel has come, has anointed him, came. He has taken Jerusalem and made Jerusalem his stronghold, his cap. He's king of everything. Meaning, pinnacle wise, success wise, he is at the top. And what does he say? Consults with captains of thousands, hundreds, with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in all of Israel and with them to the priests and the Levites who are in their cities and the common lands that they may gather together to us. And let us bring the ark of our God back to us for we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would so for the thing was right in the eyes of the people. You know, when he is at the 
top, the most successful in his life. What he wants is God. He wants his God. He wants God in the midst of the country. He wants God in the center of Israel. But the height of his success. He sought God in defeat. He sought God in success. And therefore God kept him through it all. That's how you apply truth. We are not just reading the law, we are just reading scripture. We have to learn via these names of these people, their histories of certain people given so much will to see what kept them and what didn't keep the others. Okay? Because we will read, I personally believe, like it was true for me, so I guess true for everyone, because we are all of the same nature, restored, being restored in the image of Christ Jesus. Like, we may read scripture and may think we understand scripture. We may think we are ministering and we may think we are glorifying God without understanding scripture and without glorifying God. Because you see, the gospel according to John is incredibly different from the other three gospels. Unbelievably different. Matthew begins with genealogy and the beginning of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist and all. Luke also begins from there. Mark begins straight away from his ministry. But John goes all the way back before even creation. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became flesh, dwelt among us. So the gospel according to John is unbelievably different. Therefore, very difficult to understand unless God himself teaches us. It's not easy to understand. So you have Jesus three and a half years ministry caught in chapter 1 to chapter 30. And then you have his last days and his final discourse. His final, most difficult, most in-depth teaching We'll start from John chapter 13, verse 31 onwards. You don't go there now. 31 onwards. Go all the way to 17, 38 if you am right. And then 18, 1 will say, there's a sang a song and he goes to be arrested. So 13, 31 to the end of 17, that is 14, 16, and a half chapters is the most in-depth core teaching of Jesus Christ to the disciples. And I still wonder how many people in the world are there who can really understand. I don't include myself in that. What he really, very flippantly uses words and sings, stuff which he has applying it to ourselves. But if you understand the context, we will realize, Lord, deliver me from myself. Let me tell you the context when he is preaching this, teaching this. This is the last supper. Okay? In 1327, he gives the morsel. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Entered whom? Judas. At the communion table, Satan entered Judas. And Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Verse 30 says, Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately and it was night. Okay, till then God has kept him. Till then Jesus kept him from the devil entering him. He kept him. 
Okay. This was his last moment. Gave him the bread. Devil entered him. Jesus said, go do what you have to do quickly. He left and it was night. Understand context, okay? This is this. For what Jesus never said in 33 and a half years of his life, never in his ministry, as soon as Judas has left and taken the spirit of mammon with him, this is what he says in the next verse. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified. Until the spirit of mammon leaves our lives, we cannot glorify God. Irrelevant what else we do with our lives. That spirit has to leave. When that has left, he says, now. He's saying, he's saying, he's not talking about others. He's talking about himself. He's saying, Father, I have preached, I have pleased you. You are always with me. But Father, in my ministry, I have not been able to glorify you. Because I was waiting for this moment. This spirit from my midst. Once he's gone, he says, Father, now the son of glorified and God is glorified in him. In him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. You want to be glorified immediately? Jesus is shown the secret. So the question to ask is, when will Christ be glorified in me? When will God be glorified in me? Answer is here. And the spirit of mammon departs. That is why the devil will always try to supplant money for faith. Money should be behind us and let God add it. That's why the Bible is so powerful to say in the book of Acts when the church gathered, they put money at feet. That was the only issue which I mentioned in the beginning. It is, it's never about the money. It's like 66 people? And I was, I was thought, there are 30 kids here. And Sunday, I money to Jyoti to give the kids. So if 30 of them put in, that only puts 36 people. And of the 36 people, let us say, I don't remember, let us say there was 10,000 in 502,000. I am guessing that each one put a note. What if 5,000 was put in person? Would that mean the rest didn't put anything? It can grip you in so many ways. In fear or fearlessness. And you have to put mammon under your feet. I will give when I have nothing. That's what Elijah told the widow. Don't make it and give it to me. You will not die. You will not die. You have to deal with mammon with the iron clad fist in your life. Either mammon will cause you to fear because you don't have or it will cause you to be bold against God because you have. And both are equally dangerous. Equally dangerous. Equally dangerous. And anybody, that's why you have to be very, very carefully teach your children straight away this audacity of faith. Give. You will never fear. I remember when Charan will be here. One day when we all came back to Jesus, she looked at me and said, Grandpa, can you give this? I said, why? I want to buy a ball. I said, how much does the ball cost? He said, 20 rupees. I said, so you already have 10. He looked at me. I said, you didn't put your offering in the bag, right? He didn't realize I would catch him at that. I said, instead of you 10, I'm taking your 10 away from you. <laughs> Very smart. 
Unless the parents are watching, how will you never they put it? I'm telling you, it's nothing to do with the money has money. It is God to do what the Spirit does to you. The Spirit does something to you which destroys you. Which gives you an independence of freedom from God. No, the more God blesses you with money, fall before God and make yourself even more dependent. And say, Lord, like you taught in the book of Acts, I will lay it at your feet, Lord. I will never allow this to control me. Because, Lord, I want to glorify you. That's why Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. Flesh profits? Nothing. Flesh profits? Did you, do you understand for three and a half years, in spite of all the ministry he did and all the teaching he received, the words of Jesus profited Judas nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Did not receive anything because another spirit had grabbed his hand. Heart. You see, all the disciples betrayed Jesus. But only one betrayed because of mammon. They all betrayed. Outwardly they all betrayed. They all ran. They all said we do not know. They all said we will die for you. They all ran. Only one betrayed for mammon. Because of mammon. All the others because of fear. That's what mammon does. It causes independence from God. And that's why we, two of us, protect our hearts so carefully. That's what I said, if you come to missions on me, you don't even realize it will be the toughest missions, walking up the mountain, preaching day and night, no hot water, nothing, no offering. Hardly anything. Hardly anything. And even when they give, you tremble because you know these people do not have to give. But you know you have to take because God said, for their case, sake. And usually in every place, except where I know the church is well to do, every place, all my life, what I have done is that when they give an offering, I put more than that back into the offering bag so that they should not lack. And mammon should not grip my heart that I will never serve God for money. Always. 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 Put more than that back. And sometimes I know some of them I already know by now they won't take it. So when they go back and when they reach home, I'll send an SMS. Just just check what you call that box in your car. Your glove compartment. Just just check your glove compartment because there is a cover there. Because I know the first time he said, no, 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 pastor, how can I take from you? Because you have to learn it because you know what? It's a lesson you have to learn. Don't ever let that spirit get over you. You and I, to come out of it is very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. Either way, fight that every day of your life. Because you have a gospel, which is not a gospel. It preaches money. And preaches success and connects it with money. Let me ask you this question. Today, if you hear, someone is blessed. We only think in terms of money and what money can Buy. We look at their lifestyle and said, man, you are blessed. Right? Jesus turns that concept upside down. And in his sermon on the mount, the first teaching, first teaching, first incredible teaching of Jesus Christ, the actual core truth behind the law. Sermon on the mount, he ascends up to the mountains, leaving the crowds, 
verse 2 the disciples followed him verse 3 he begins teaching blessed are the poor in the spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven the first thing he utters the new testament word here poor actually means a beggar who is absolutely totally dependent upon another for his or her well-being that's what faith means genuine faith means my righteous shall live by faith. I'm absolutely, oh Lord, irrespective of the money I have or I don't have, I know, Lord, I'm absolutely dependent upon you alone, oh God, and nobody else. Did you get it? So now, personalize it. When God puts us, his children, into a situation, that we have no power to fix. He's doing us a favor. Because he's making a faith. For genuine faith. And the kingdom to come in. And we actually fight those situations. We actually fight those situations. We are fought in a situation. And then we want to get out of that situation. Because we have no power over that situation. We fast and we pray. And we rest and then finally we get mad. Without realizing that situation is where we experience the actual power of God because now we are actually dependent upon Him. Whether it is in your workplace, in your home, in your marriage, with your children, or anything. Anything. Where you have no power to fix it. It's a gift from God. So that we will experience the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in the spirit. So we look at people with a lot of trouble and says, poor man. God says, blessed man. Because he can experience me more than you can. Not that his troubles will make him experience. But if you turn this, remember yesterday's, before yesterday's message at the end of the wedding? Leah was looking at Jacob. Now I have given him Reuben. He'll come to me. Eyes only for Rachel. Simeon, now you'll, because God hears, he has heard my cry, my husband will turn. Then Levi, how will be attached to me? Then she looks up. And Judah. The interesting part is that the next two sons she names, one is reward, one is honor. When you have lifted up to God and realized this was tailor-made for me by God, he has become my honor and he has become my reward. But God told Abraham, I am your shield and your reward. She is experiencing through her womb. A woman who was unloved all the days of her life. All the days of her life. We have to see life that way. Job went through all his troubles. Never took his eyes off God or his hand of God. And at the end when God speaks and when God speaks, finishing speaking, he says, my ears had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. I have understood you in ways which I would have never done unless through this doorway of trouble you opened the kingdom for me. I know who you are better than before all these troubles hit me. Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the. So now I'll teach you a little English how to rewrite this sentence using cursed. Therefore, cursed are those who are rich in self-sufficiency. Cursed. Cursed are you. 
When you need very little of God in your life, cursed are you. Cursed. Blessed are those who are poor in the spirit. Cursed are those who are so self-sufficient. And the cursed church of the seven churches is the Laodicean church. I, we have need of nothing. Look at us. We got everything. God says, if only you saw yourself the way I saw you. Naked, wretched, poor, blind. What a description from the king of kings. And you said, did you see? Even my son is outside. Outside. Not only outside the church. He's outside every individual life. And he's knocking. Can I come in? That was the difference between David, the rest of the kings of Israel and Judah. God could always speak to him because he was always poor in the spirit. Therefore, he never got offended. That's how you need to understand. How do you know you are poor in the spirit? I think I'm poor in the How do you know? Those who are poor in the spirit have learned to deal with offense. They don't get offended. They don't get offended. You kick a dog, it will bite you. Because the dog is alive. You kick a dead dog, you can kick it as long as you want. Your leg will hurt. The dog will not do nothing. You give a beggar a plate full of rice and say it is yesterday's, he won't return. Say kalkabat, he will never say. Kalke chawal mein nahi khate. Did he say? There's no room for offense. Can, can God speak anything to you through anyone? That's why he was the only man. If you look at the entire scripture, all entire history of Israel and Judah, only one man. One man. I'll just give you four examples of good kings, not bad kings. First, we will look at his own son. First Kings chapter 11, verse to 6. So it was when Solomon was old that his wife turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. What did success do to him? Turned him away from God. Because now he thinks, I don't have to go by what God has spoken. I will multiply horses, multiply wives, multiply money. I will do all those things. It doesn't apply to me. And God couldn't speak to him. God spoke. Stop speaking to him. And the very spirit that was upon Saul came upon Solomon. Like Saul chased David, he chased Jeroboam, called by God, chosen by God. So his end, we don't know. We still do not know where he is. We can presume by the end of book of Ecclesiastic that maybe he just, just came through the fire. We don't know. You know what destroyed him? It was success. And God was mad. You have to read subsequent verses. That's enough for now. Subsequent, God was angry, mad with him. Anointed, gifted, rich. He gave him everything. But he got into his head. and Then he became independent from God. The power made him independent. He went away. Look at another good one. We teach him and we teach his all his incredible faith and how to handle praise and worship and battle and everything. But look at his end. Jehoshaphat. Good king. These are not bad kings. Bad kings are not examples. Good kings. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. And he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarsus. And they made ships in Ezion Geber. 
But Eliezer, son of Jodava of Maresha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, not prophesied, two. Against. Okay, listen carefully. This is the last word he will hear from God. Jehoshaphat's last hearing from God. Because you have allied yourself with Ahasya, the Lord has destroyed your works. Think about it after, let's say, 40 years of ministry, I'm on my deathbed. And God comes and tells you, because you allied with the wrong side, I destroy your ministry. What a way to end. After all the righteousness and hard work you did. What a terrible way to end. Then the ships were wrecked, so they were not able to go to Tarshish. That's the end of this chapter. If you go to 3.1, it says he died. Good kings. Good kings. These are not bad kings. These are good kings. What destroyed them? Power. Independence from God. Next one. Good king. Uzziah. Very good king. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction for he transgressed against the Lord. He's a good king. Good king. Very good king. God prospered him. But when prosperity, success, money, power all came, what happened? Heart lifted up. Lifted up against whom? Against God. To his destruction for he transgressed against the Lord in his God by entering the temple. He was very religious. He also destroyed himself. Okay. I'm not saying these people lost their salvation. Okay, don't misunderstand me. I believe they lost their rewards. These are two different things. Okay? If you lost your salvation, that means you earned your salvation. No, your salvation, if you believed and you stayed in that, you have your salvation, but your rewards are gone. Then of all the kings of Israel and Judah, if you were to give one a pick outside David, who is the best? Josiah. He said, Josiah is the best. Why? Because God said so. Let's look at this man. Good man. Second Chronicles chapter 35. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Nico, see, he's got the temple ready, sacrifice everything great, revival is taking place immediately. Nico, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish, uh, Carchemish by the Euphrates and Josiah went out against him. But he sent messengers to him saying, What I have done to do with you, king of Judah, I have not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war. For God, he's using Israel's God, commanded me to make haste. Refrain from meddling with God who is with me, lest he destroy you. He's telling Josiah, Please, please, your God told me to go fight this battle. Please don't come against me. Otherwise, if you come against me, I will have to fight you. I know very well your God is with me. If you fight me, you will die. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so that he might fight with him and did not heed the words of Nico from the mouth of God. So he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. Now wait a second here on verse 22. You have to ask, Josiah, where did you learn this from? From Ahab. You know the last fellow who disguised himself? And the archer shot King Josiah. Think about it. Ahab, the wicked, evil fellow, was shot even though he was disguised by the archers. And Josiah, one of the finest kings in human history, is also shot the same way. What a way to end. Shot the king Josiah and the king said to his servants, take me away for I am severely wounded. His servants therefore took him out of the chariot, put him in the second chariot that he had and they brought him to Jerusalem. So he died. 
and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned. And Jeremiah lamented for Josiah. You know his death? It was a terrible death and terrible for Israel. You know what age he died? 39. He died at the age of, and all the fellows who came after him were rogues. Imagine he did not die at 39. He lived for another 30 years. History of Judah would have been different. He died before his time because power got into his head. This is what we need to understand. What God is trying to teach us. Why we, how we guard ourselves. God has blessed us. God has blessed any of you. But is it making you more dependent or making you independent of God? That's the question we need to ask. Does it ask me for more and more of God? Or less and less of God? Do I go more to God before I make my decisions? Because money gives you autonomy. Gives you a lot of autonomy to make decisions. But listen to Acts chapter 13 and verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell. Interesting, right? An old covenant man is used a term, fallen asleep, which is used only with new covenant people. Because there's a new covenant man living in the old covenant. He fulfilled God's purpose in his generation and rested. You getting it? So at the height of his success or the lowest point, David clung to God and understand it's God and God alone. Listen to him. First Chronicles 17, 16 to 19, powerful. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. This is what you have to understand, the tent he pitched. There is no holy place, no outer courts, nothing. Only the ark is there. He's going and sitting in front of the ark. That's how you have to see it. There is no temple here. It's not Gibeah. This is the tent he has pitched. There is no way to come in except it's open. And you go in and you sit before the ark. You're sitting with the presence of God. And what does he say? Who am I, O Lord God? What is my house that you have brought me this far? What a statement to make towards the end of your life. Who am I? Who am I, Lord? Successful. Unbelievably successful. He never lost a battle. He's gathered all the wealth. He got tons and tons and tons of gold in the treasury and his own. Scripture says, and you will see that he gave it all to build the temple. In every way he's successful. Everywhere. Who am I? Yet this was a small thing in your sight, O God, that you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have regarded me according to the rank of a man of a high degree, O Lord. Think about it. What man? He says, I don't understand the words you're speaking about me. You're speaking as if I'm somebody big. Well, he's the biggest guy in the city, in the town, in the country. You're talking to me as if I'm somebody big. Who am I, God, that you speak about me in these terms? What a man. What more can David say to you for the honor of your servant? For you know your servant. The question is, we have to ask is, does God know us? He says, you know your servant. You know when I am speaking this, this is nobody over, this is all revelation. Nobody is there taking down the king's words. He's talking to God and through revelation we are getting it. God knows what he's speaking and he says, you know what I'm speaking. I'm not flattering you. I'm not pretending to be humble. You know me. This is who I am. You know me. 
What a man, right? Oh Lord, for your servant's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. What an encounter. Because he wanted to build a house for God. Lord, I want to build a house. God said, go do it. The next day God comes and says, hey, hang on. You want to build a house for me? Let me tell you, slight correction. I want to build a house for you. I want to build a house for you. And God said in the old last days, that's what he will do. I will rebuild the broken down tabernacle of David. And that's how you read Haggai's, Haggai's prophecy. What is that? The glory of the latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former house. Our people who were absolutely, totally dependent and surrendered to God. What a man. Right? He was one man who never stopped his dependence on God in the worst of situations. Look at Ziglag. The worst of personal failure. Look at Bathsheba. I am that man. God has taken your sin away. Son dies, child dies, rises up, bathes, changes his clothes, anoints himself, go to the house of God and what a man. What a man. That's why you will never see offense in him. No offense in him. Because he was a man who was always dependent upon God and not on self. The carnal man, that is the prodigal son, fell, took his autonomy, had a blast. He thought he was celebrating life. But in actual reality, he was destroying himself. He did not realize there was only one place that he was safe. It was in his father's house. It was in his father's house. You really want to see grace? You have to read Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. In verses 23 and 24, bring the fatted calf here, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Other translations will use the term merry has. Let us celebrate. Grace always celebrates. This is a celebration of grace. Celebration of grace. The prodigal comes back. And grace is celebrating. The problem here is both the prodigal son who went back, went away, and the older son who represents the law who stayed with the father never saw the father as grace and truth. They only saw him as law. They only saw him as law. That is where we have to guard. When you hear the word of God, when you read the word of God, you have to see, read the word of God combined as grace and truth. Because the law always judges, condemns and it gives you no help. But truth will always help you because along with truth always comes grace. God never asks you to do anything on your own. He says, my grace is sufficient and my grace is available. Come freely, boldly, confidently to the very throne room of grace. But they both saw the father has law. They never saw him as grace and truth. I want you to read a very, I didn't give it to you. Go to Galatians chapter 4, Sammy. Are you there? Yeah. Very important portion. Actually, I would call it a thesis. Paul makes an epistle to the church in Galatia. Go to verse 21 onwards, okay? 
Okay, it's an incredibly powerful portion. Listen carefully. Tell me you who desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? You want to be under the law? Do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. One by a bondwoman, another by a free woman. Okay? But he was of the bondwoman, was born according to the flesh, and he was of the free woman through the promise. We things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to, corresponds to, which is, which now is, and is in bondage with her. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. For as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. The stunning verse in this, along with the rest of it, is verse 26. What does it say? But Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. While Jerusalem below is in bondage with her children. That's why I ask, oh, because North East is flooded with Israel madness. We want to go. Everybody wants to go to Israel. Everybody comes with the David's flag. Everybody brings a chauffeur. Everybody is Israel. I said, wait a second. Who's, which Israel, which Jerusalem do you belong to? Have you ever read this portion? What is the fascination with Jerusalem? Even if Jesus were to come back today in Jerusalem, they would still crucify him. Because they don't accept him. We pray for Jerusalem. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's all a different. There is no fascination with Jerusalem or Israel. They are not the friends of God. They are the enemies of God. Still. They support Christians because America is powerful militarily and they need that help. That's the only reason. And I said, I don't want to go to Jerusalem. What for? Your government gives subsidy to pastors to go to Jerusalem. And you know that Took from a Gentile government money to go visit your God. You're in bondage. My Jerusalem is from above and I'm free. I said, do you know about this? I said, do you know the flag of Israel? Was that the flag of ever of Israel? That flag is only 70 or 80 years old. It's a Freemasonic symbol that starts. It's got nothing to do with the actual history of Israel. And you are waving it all in your churches. Are you, are you not ashamed because you don't know your history of the church? I'm not saying you shouldn't go to Israel. I'm not saying that. But these are not sentimental issues. These are spiritual issues. Real spiritual issues. Because spiritual, once you understand scripture and understand what each of these Jerusalems represents, you will realize it sets you free. Let me ask you this question. When the new, after the new millennium, when the new creation begins and everything is restored, everything is new, will this Jerusalem be there or will it be destroyed by fire? It will be destroyed by fire. So what is going to be destroyed is fire. I'm not going to waste my money and time on it. I'll stick to the new one. It will be destroyed. There will be not. Last time when he told of the temple, he said not even a stone. This time not even dust will remain. Everything will be consumed. 
So don't get sentimental about it. Get, get spiritual about it. Understand the spiritual significance of all these truths. Okay. And then go. God will speak. Otherwise you go, you'll come back with photographs. And forget the Christ. You see, law had only one purpose. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. The purpose was our tutor to bring us to Christ Jesus. That we may be justified by faith. But we know, we heard that message, we know it very well. The law looked at everybody as slaves. Imprisoned. All das hai, gulam hai. And Christ has to come, open and take them out. All those before him who had believed him in by faith, he took captivity captive and led them as a train and left his pastors behind. That's what the next verse says. To take care of you. Otherwise you would have gone in the train, you would have been without shepherds. <laughs> he took captivity captive. Did you see? The law only saw you as slaves and servants. It doesn't matter how great you were under this law. Want to see the difference? Read Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 1 to 6. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him who was appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Now look at verse 5. Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a? That's all he could do. He was under the law. So he's a servant. For a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward, but Christ as a son. Over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So there are two builders. One is Moses, other is Christ. Both built houses. Moses was faithful as a servant. And if you are under the law, you are all servants. You can be in that house. Or you can be under Christ, who also built a house. But he was a son. If you come under grace and truth, you are sons and not slaves. The law will never give you the liberty of a son. Law will. Never. What is the liberty of a son? Even when you go wrong, you go to your daddy and say, Daddy, I'm sorry. Salah. Come. You're my son. Now go back to Luke chapter 15, that incredible parable of Jesus Christ. Verse 14 and 16. Now he had spent all. There arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. Began to be in what? He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Look at the condition getting from verse to verse to verse to verse. He's with the pigs. Verse 17. When you would have gladly filled his stomach with pots that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. Yeah, next verse. And when he came to himself, now it's starting. Okay, we understand. It's starting. 
How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? He's saying, okay, my father has all kinds of servants. There are those regular servants who are like family. And there are even these daily workers. Even those daily workers eat well. Daily workers eat well. When the hired ones eat well. Forget about the others. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see, this is the problem with the younger son and the older son. This fellow both never understood grace and truth and the father. So as soon as they fall, they know, you know what? I am a servant. Because that's what the Lord does to you. I am a servant. I am not a son. I am a servant. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Can I please live under the law and eat like a servant and serve you like a servant? When he comes back, the father says, hang on, you are my son. You are my son. Why are you under condemnation? You are my son. A son is always a son. A son never becomes a slave. Are you getting the picture? You are a son. And it's so difficult for the human mind to think that it is so easy. It is so easy. It is so easy. Ask all the fathers standing over here. So many fathers sitting over here. Johnson holding his baby. Shrikant holding the baby there. David holding his baby. All of you. You think your child falls and comes back. You say you are a slave from oh my gosh. You are just waiting for them to come back. That's why he says you fathers being evil know how to give good things to your children. How much more? How much more? This is the audacity of faith and grace. Now listen to the elder son. Luke 15, verse 25 to 28. Now older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He won't go in. He won't go in. This is the nature of the law. <laughs> they won't go in. He calls them out and says, what is happening? Let's go further. He came to him and said, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. He's the 21st, uh, the New Testament version of Ziba. Remember Ziba? Has all anybody left? Yes, there is one son called Mehusabar, but he is left. Why does he have to? This is what upset him. And father is just throwing a party. And if you really know this master of yours, you would have told him he took that hungry chicken and cooked him. That lean fellow, you know, the useless chicken. Father said, okay, this is a wasted son. Kill that lean. Don't tell fatted cup. That's what upset him. That's the spirit of Ziba. It always flows. These are pictures you have to see. Therefore, he was angry and would not go in. And therefore, father came out and pleaded with him. It's so interesting, the pictures over there. Now, grace and truth has come out and he's pleading with the law. Please, please. He was angry. He wouldn't go in. He wouldn't go in. Now read verse 29 and 30. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friend. Everybody is worried about merry. The young fellow went over, had merry and lost everything, came back. The father is making merry. This man also wants to be merry. But as soon 
as this son of yours came, this son of yours, there are bachche. That's what fathers say when the children bring this progress report with all these red marks. Now your son, look at his mark, mother, look. Home tuition, no home tuition, look at your mark, your son. Letting him with first rank, just like daddy. <laughs> what does he say? As soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf for him. Wait a second. Doesn't this sound exactly like the Pharisee who prayed? This it? I did all this. I'm not like him. I did all this. I'm not like him. He sounded exactly like the Pharisee. prodigal son, the carnal fellow thought you can go to the world and celebrate and he destroyed himself. The law fellow caught under the law also wants to celebrate and is complaining you never gave me anything to celebrate. But grace always celebrates. It's calling the prodigal the Gentiles and it's calling those under the law come in and let us celebrate. Let us celebrate. Both in Christ celebration. Salvation is a celebration. That's what I said, the flesh loves the world. The soul loves the law. And neither could understand the father. And the father was all grace and all truth. Only the truth will set us free. Law has its purpose. Has its purpose. To bring us to Christ. If you read words 21 to 23. 21 to 23. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and a sandal on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. Imagine the story was written differently. And the prodigal son said, no sir, it is not right. I am not worthy of that robe. This rags actually suit me. Ring, never. Even if you want to put a ring, please put aluminium. I'm worthy only of aluminium, not of gold. I will walk with bare feet, please. Or if you really want to put sandals, not sandals that hold Hawaii chappi that is broken, put with safety pin, that will do. So I will be always reminded of the cracks on my feet. This is who I was. I don't want to know who I am in Christ. If any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold he has made all things new. Imagine if we rewrote the story of the prodigal son. Fatter calf. No sir. Little kanji will do. I am only worthy of kanji. You know what Kanji is, right? Ganji. In Malayalam we say Kanji. We have a term in Malayalam colloquial that you are a Kanji. (laughs) This is the attitude of so many in the kingdom of God. I am useless. Because we refuse to accept the grace of God. We accept the grace of God 
one time in your life to get to be saved and after that we go to the works of law. That's why he is asking the Galatians. You foolish Galatians. Who bewitched you? You started in the spirit. You have ended in the flesh. Who bewitched you? From the beginning till the end, it is grace and grace and grace and grace alone and nothing else. You will never ever deserve anything from God. It is a free gift of God. The whole life of salvation, it's a free gift. It's a work of grace and grace alone. So what you see inside the house is a young man dressed in a new robe. Sandals on his feet and a ring on his finger. Just accepting it by faith. Did he deserve it? No. Do we deserve it? No. Just by faith. Romans 3.20 What about the elder son? Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. What does the law do? There is no law. You don't know you are a sinner. But the law is there. It's written in everybody's heart. It is through the law you have the knowledge of sin. Don't stop there. Go to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Okay, you get the truth. You understand how truth works, grace works. I write to you that you do not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an, please understand that if you sin, if you're a child of God, you sin. You have what? Not an accuser. You have an advocate. Not an accuser. You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Because there is an advocate and there is an accuser too. Revelation 12.10 talks about the accuser. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has and been cast down. You have to cast down that accuser and allow only the advocate to speak to your life. Cast down the accuser. If any one of you little, I write to you little children that you do not sin, but if you sin, Don't listen to the voice of the accuser who will always bring you under judgment and condemnation. Ultimately, you fall apart. He says, listen, run to God. You have an advocate. This is not the elder brother. This is the firstborn of God. He is your advocate. He will not stand outside the father's house and grit his teeth because a younger son has the sinner has come back and I will not be part like he is the one who lay down his life so that the son could come back. He's your advocate. He's not your accuser. And verse 11 will say, They overcame him, that's the accuser, by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. That was their testimony. What will be our testimony? By grace and grace alone. By faith I come to you, Lord. Faith in the Son of Man. In the blood of the Lamb. I come to you, Lord. How many times, Lord, if I have to go back a zillion times a day, I will still go back. Because the blood has never lost its power. That's what I told the young people who came from Bhutan. I said, you know what? You need to keep going back. And I'm telling you, and you need to keep surrendering. You have to surrender every day for a thousand years maybe. But one day when you get up, you will realize it's happened. You are surrendered. It will be a reality. You know something has happened. This time you are surrendered. 
But that doesn't mean I don't feel anything. So I'm not going to surrender anymore. I went to the front two times or I went on my knees three times in my house. No, keep doing it. One day you will realize it's done. God has received you. That's why Hannah kept on going back to Shiloh. Cried the same cry. Prayed the same prayer. But one, God heard her. She went back. She went back different. Keep going back. Keep going back. How did they overcome? By the blood of the Lamb. By the word of their testimony. They did not fear. What? Why? Because it's the law that brings death. Now you are under grace. You are not afraid of death because you know death is going home. You are not afraid of death. You are looking forward to death. Law brings death. Grace brings life. Life abundant. So keep going back. Keep going back. Look at Hebrews 7 and verse 25. If you go, he is all, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost who come to God through him since he always lives to make accusation against you. Intercession for you. He's the advocate. He intercedes for you. Forever to make intercession for them. This is truth. Not the law. This is the truth. This is not the law. This is the truth. And we have to learn to come under truth. So we see outside the house Law and grace are going. Now the question you have to ask this is, now does the prodigal son need laws to serve the father? Does he need? No. He's understood the truth. Nobody has to tell him anymore, serve the father. He has experienced grace. Then suddenly life of ministry is no longer burdensome. Because you understood grace. And you love serving him. It's no longer you may be physically tired in your body, but you never get spiritually weary. Now the prodigal son don't have to be told, no, no, do this, do this, he says. He has understood grace. He has understood truth. So the story is open-ended. Does the elder son come back? Come in? We don't know. God left it that way. Yes, he will. If you realize he too is a prodigal, then only he will come and be able to celebrate. Then it becomes not only his brother's party, it becomes his party too. Then only he will be able to realize I am no better than my brother. Because I was also kept only by the grace of God. Because a lot of people who have lived very righteous lives. Why? Because they had righteous parents who took them to righteous churches and gave them righteous upbringing. And then they come to a church which is called grace. And if God had not kept them by grace, in that kind of setting. They would have been just like the prodigal son. So then look back one day and realize, you know, why I didn't go that way? It was also by the grace of God. Everybody, if they are kept, is only kept by the grace of God. Those who were good, the elder son and the younger son, was kept by 
Read Luke 15 and verse 30. You'll see. As soon as this son of yours come, came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Let me ask you this question. Did the elder son go check out on the younger son? No. So he's a gossip and a slanderer. Right? You see, the father is the advocate of the younger son. The elder son is the accuser of the younger one. So again, back into the courtroom. There is an advocate and there is an accuser. That's why Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. Flesh profits nothing. You know, yesterday, last evening also, two pastors came to see me. Our, our pastors, they come. You know what? I love all my pastors. Everyone. I love them. And one of the reasons why I love my pastors in Hyderabad and all those come from Andhra and Telangana and the ones in Northeast and everywhere, it's very easy to love them. Is because I have never heard anything bad about them. And I will not hear anything bad about them. So easy to love. Why did the elder son dislike the younger one? Because he was listening. People came away from the far country. Yeah, he will pretend. My younger son, my younger brother has been gone for a long time. Did you see him? Yeah. What is he doing? Uh, Is he leading light? Uh, Is he... You're not interested in his well-being. You're interested in his downfall. Yeah. So right in the house, you have an accuser of the brother. So he needs as much grace as the actually more grace. Because he's well-robed. He's got sandal on his feet. And he's got a ring on his finger. And he doesn't realize he needs more grace than the other guy. It's easy to get him in because he's lost everything. This guy thinks he has everything when he has nothing. That's why flesh profits nothing. While the soul puffs up and is offended. The elder son is offended, not happy. He's offended. That's why under the law, the great under the law, even John the Baptist got offended. He got offended. For being put in prison, he got offended. Paul got beaten black and blue, thrown in prison all his life. He never got offended. John got put in prison once, he got offended. That's the law. The greatest under the law. I didn't say it. Jesus said, this is the man greatest under the law. That's how you, this is, these are what you call symptoms. This is how you check it out. I may get offended when my, when your wife says something, when your husband says something, when your father says something, your mother says something. Children, listen, your teacher says something, your father says something, your warden says something, your boss says something. Are you able to look at it issue and not get offended? There's an issue behind whatever was said. Are you able to take the offense out and just look at the issue and deal it as an issue? Because if you get offended, then you can, God cannot speak to you through anybody. Saul was offended. So at his hour of trouble, he tried every method under the sky and scripture says God would not speak to him. Because you're an offended man. What's the point in speaking to you? you? Deal with these things. These are important things in the kingdom of God because one thing about faith is faith is life. And faith has to be continuous. Not that you lose your salvation, but my righteous shall live by faith. And faith comes from hearing. 
He can have the word of God and have lost hearing. Okay. And he can be restored. Please don't get immediately and go under the law. Oh, I have lost my hearing. Now go back and you will hear again. If you have lost it. And John was the last of the prophets and he was the greatest. Romans 3, 21-22 says this. Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference. It's witnessed by what? The law and the prophets. And do you know that was what is what is the highlight of John's ministry? It's not his preaching. His preaching was no, I mean, the prophets before him preached better than him. Tougher and longer than him. This was a one sermon man. Every Sunday he preached the same message. John the Baptist. What was the highlight? Why is he called the greatest? Because of what happened here. John chapter 1. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away. He is the one who actually revealed Christ to the world. That's why he is the greatest. All the others could only say he is coming, 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 coming. This man said, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. The law and the prophets witnessed. And which was the actual prophet practically who witnessed the Lamb of God? A righteousness that comes apart from the law. It was wrong. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is revelation straight from God. It's not his human understanding. It is not his soul. It is not his flesh. Nothing. It is spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit is speaking through him. This is of him whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me. For he was before me. Though he is looking with his fleshly eyes and he knows he is after him. He says he is before me. Because he knows he was born six months after him. But he knows in the spirit he was before me. He is the I am. So this is not flesh, this is not the soul. Because soul-wise you know he was born six months after him. But the spirit says, this is the Lamb of God. Behold, he takes away the sins of the world and he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it remained upon him. And I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. You know, this is what I said. We may do one work without even understanding the purpose of the work we are doing. John is baptizing. John is every repent for the kingdom of God. Crowds and crowds and crowds and crowds are coming. He's baptizing, he's baptizing, he's baptizing. We'll say, wow, what a great ministry he's baptizing. Baptizing so many people, so many people have come to be repented and baptizing. He says, that's not the reason. I am baptizing because the father told me, you keep baptizing and one day when you are baptizing, the spirit will fall upon one man. That is the man who says, my son, and you point him out. That's the reason you are baptizing. And as he was baptizing, the spirit fell. Probably when Jesus came and all righteous, he didn't understand. He still didn't understand. But when he baptized him and he came out, he saw the spirit descending upon him and he heard the voice and he knew this is it. He had baptized so many people before that. He baptized many after that. But he knew this is the one because that's why he baptized. So don't look with your eyes. Because you may not even know the actual purpose of your ministry. Unless it is revealed. This is the reason. This is the reason. That's why the Genesis chapter 4 and 5 is so different. Genesis chapter 4 is Cain's genealogy. Then he came, the built a city, the built a city, musical instrument, that instrument, this instrument, all. 
10 generation later, everything washed away with the flood. No instrument, no building, no people. Whole line is cut off. Genesis chapter 5. Seth begat Enosh. Enosh begat after. Only one thing is mentioned consistently. This one begat, this one begat, this one begat, this one. That was their whole purpose. To see that line of Shem is preserved for Jesus to come. That was their purpose. Nothing they built, nothing they did is ever mentioned. So the only testimony of us is that the Christ in me, I passed it on to another generation. It continues. That's your witness. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses. That's our purpose. Because so many people ask, what is my purpose? Your purpose is to allow the testimony of Jesus Christ to come. This is how he understood. This is how he is the greatest of the prophets. And you know the greatest man under the law, his greatest personal statement about himself is revealed in John chapter 3. This is what he says. What does he say? He must increase. I must decrease. Now what I told the pastors and the young people there. So let me tell you, this is a statement of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. That's not your statement or my statement. My statement and your statement in the New Testament is not that I should decrease and you should increase. Our statement is I should die that he should live. And because he only said he should increase and I should decrease, he did not die when he was put in prison. He got offended. But because Paul said I die daily and the life that I live, I live in the Son of God by faith. Didn't matter how many times he was put in prison, he worshipped and praised because he died and Christ lived. Understand the limitations of the law. Understand the possibilities of grace. Don't live under the law. Don't live under the law. That's why Jesus said, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than everyone under the law. Because of the possibilities of what grace can do to you. That's what Paul will say. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a difference between John the Baptist and Paul the Apostle. No longer saying that I should decrease and he should increase. So we have to understand what Jesus says and what he means. John Matthew 5, I'll close soon. I'll close soon. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot, one tittle will no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So will the, will the law disappear? No. Still be there. And what is the purpose of the law? First Timothy 1.8 But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. And verse 9 Knowing that the law is not for the righteous person but for the lawless. It is for the lawless. You need the law. But how do you use the law? Lawfully. The law is good if you use it. You use the law with the lawlessness in you to direct you back to Christ for mercy and grace and not to perfect you by the law. If you try to get perfect by the law, you are using the law unlawfully. The law is good if you use it lawfully. How should you use it? 
powerfully. Go back to Christ. Receive mercy, grace, and move on. Move on. That's why Jesus said, heaven and earth will not pass away. Until it, not every dot has been fulfilled. Do you know when heaven and earth passes away? Revelation 20, verse 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Kalas. 7,000 years of human history over. Everything that is of sin is thrown. Devil, Satan, demonic spirits, everybody who is not in the book of life is God's seven year dispensation is closed. And then Revelation 21 begins. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no mercy. Is the law there? No. No more law. Because everyone is born of the truth, grown in the truth and truth. They know the father. They understand the father. You don't need laws. You know even that is true? If you know the truth, you don't need laws. We don't need to know all the laws. 1992 to 2020 is how many years? 28 years, right? 28 years I have driven on the roads of India. I have never had a traffic violation because I don't need rules to drive. I don't need rules to drive. It's as simple as that. Love yourself, love your neighbor. Love yourself first. And the funny part is that I haven't had an accident, I haven't had a traffic violation in 28 years when I cannot pedal a cycle still today. And I still I don't have an accident. Because you don't have to speed. Leave early. Order your time. Reach your workplace early. You don't have to speed and cut through and try to do gymnastics. Okay, You don't have to do any of those things. You know, If you have a helmet on your head, that's a helmet of salvation on the road. If you have that on your head, your license and RC book in your pocket and your pollution certificate, you have don't have any fear of the law. Nowadays, I like it very much because you can renew your uh, insurance for three years at a time. Very happy. Three years. You don't need the law. You look at areas of your life. Do you need the law? You don't need the law. That's what truth does. It sets you free. Truth sets you free. In the new creation, there is no law. Because Christ lives in everyone. But till that happens, even the thousand years of Jesus Christ on the earth, unredeemed sinners are there, so Jesus will rule with a scepter of iron. All those glorified saints will all have a stick in their hands, because the people are lawless. People are lawless. Sin will never be allowed to be manifested on earth. It is a rule of righteousness and everybody will walking with scepter of iron. People full of grace and truth, but a scepter of iron. Why? Lawless. That's why at the end they will still turn against Jesus. Even though the devil is chained in for a thousand years, sin nature is so deep within us, we don't need the devil to tempt us. We will fall. So you need a scepter of iron. Every knowledge of God will fill the earth and people, if they are not restrained, will still sin. Knowledge of God is not going to stop you. Okay? But after that era is over, Revelation 21, 1 begins. No more law. Only a new creation. And that's what the Bible says. If any man is in Christ Jesus, he say, 
There's a new creation coming in the future, but there's a new creation being prepared in the present to fit into that future. And it's only by grace and grace alone. Where does it all begin? James chapter 1 verse 18. Last two verses and we will stop. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's where it all begins. Word of truth came. You heard. You understood like the prodigal son. This is who I am. This is what I am. I am not worthy. And the father receives you and makes you a son. And you are born by the word of truth. Jesus on his last walk standing before Pilate there is this statement Jesus makes. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone, what did he say? Who is of the truth. Hears my voice. Everyone, who is born of the truth. Who is of the truth. Hears my voice. Faith comes from and hearing from thee. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So the question is, am I of the truth? Simple as that. And we hear this voice. God says, my words are spirit and life. Finally to the conclusion. So every church in the world, after service, after hearing the word, people go out through the same door. Three different ways. For those who wear flesh, the word profits nothing. And they rush back to the world. They are just waiting. They also go like calves released from the stalls into the world. And those who are under the law goes condemned, offended or angry. And those who are off the truth, they understand truth, they understand growth. They walk out knowing the words are spirit and life depending even more on his grace to work out their salvation. They walk by truth. They judge by the truth. They don't judge by the law. And they also know what true blessings are. You know what scripture says? He came full of grace and full of truth. And Avi puts it this way, out of his grace... We have received grace upon grace. That is KJV and KJV. NIV will say out of his grace we received blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Blessed are the out of his grace it makes you blessed. Blessed are the blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure. You see those are real blessings which grace does. That's how you count your blessings. We sing count your blessing. Name them one by one. Yeah, name them one by one. True blessings of grace. True blessings of God. That's how you count them. Blessed, 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 blessed. It's a grace that does it. You can, law can never make you that. Can never make you that. The world can never make you that. Only grace can. Once you understand what true blessings is, you will go before God and say, Lord, bless me. I want to be a blessing. I want to be a blessing. And I want to inherit the earth. 
I don't want to be CEO of my company. I want the earth. I don't wanna, I don't want Amazon. I want the whole Amazon basin. <laughs> I was telling them, no? I said, though I preach in so many different places because I was born in that area, I love that area. I said, you would be very surprised, I said, if on that day, God puts all of you together, all you chinky guys, and tell you, when I walk in, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Take care of Bhutan, Sikkim and Nepal. I said, you will be ashamed. <laughs> Better run the race. I don't come back and rule over you. <laughs> you don't want a South Indian over your life for a thousand years, right? <laughs> oh, just joking. Okay, let's stand. Let's pray. God is good all the time. He's good. Father, we just come to you, Lord. We come as prodigals. We come as the elder son. Prodigals and Pharisees, we come. There's only one place where we can celebrate. It's in the Father's house. We can celebrate not like that story, the Father slaughtered a fatted calf. We can celebrate because the Father slaughtered his own son. So that we can celebrate the grace that is released in our lives, O Lord. The cornerstone was laid by grace. The capstone will be laid by grace. And it will be a work of grace and grace alone, O Master. So that no man can boast or will be able to boast when they stand before God, O Master. So I pray, Father, today, as we have heard your word, doesn't matter in what state each one came. No one will go condemned. No one will go empty. No one will go offended. Because the throne room of grace is wide open. There is no labor there. There is no altar there. There is no table of shoe bread. There are no restrictions. Even the curtain veil has been torn. All that you hear is a father in heaven saying, Come boldly, confidently to the throne room of grace and receive mercy and grace for every need. It's a father who is waiting. It's a father. It's all about the father and what the son did through the spirit. And I pray, Lord, Let it be our story too. What the Father did through each one of us, his sons and daughters, through his spirit, the power of grace, the power of your truth that can set us free. And I pray, Father, we will lean each day more and more and more on your grace and your grace alone, O Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. Believing the love of the Father The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the blood of His precious Son has cleansed us. We lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And once again, we declare in your house, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever and ever, Lord. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.